Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you stop comparing and start living. I'm your host, Heather Creekmore. I hate to admit this, but I used to secretly obsess over my appearance. I thought it was part of my job as a woman to always look better, but never felt like I could be good enough. Maybe you can relate. God, in His grace, showed me a way out, and I want to give you all the tools you need to break free too. If you've ever spent too much time stressing over your looks, I get it. I hope you'll keep listening and find the same freedom I have. Here are three other things you should know about me. I'm a minivan driving mom of four. I'm author of the book Compared to Who and The Burden of Better. I'm a blogger at ComparedToWho.me, and you just may have seen my epic big fail on Netflix. If you've ever struggled with comparison or body image issues, Compared to Who is the show for you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hey, tell a friend about it. Hey there, welcome to the Compared to Who show. I'm Heather Creekmore and I'm glad you are listening. Today, we're going to talk candy. Ah, candy. What do we do with all the candy? The end of October is the beginning of candy season. Even if you avoid Halloween, there is a good chance somewhere you've been, there is candy corn sitting out for you to grab a handful, candy pumpkins. I love those little candy corn, candy pumpkins, Ah, all the things. Candy, it's everywhere. And today, my guest, Dr. Stephanie Reinald, is going to help us figure out what is the healthy way to handle the candy? How do we handle the candy with our kids? How do we handle the candy with ourselves? So, Stephanie, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. So good to be here, Heather. Thanks for having me. Let me tell everyone just a little bit about you, and then I'm going to let you fill in the blanks. So officially, you are an MD or psychiatrist, board-certified psychiatrist. You have a master's of public health. You specialize in women's mental health issues, including pregnancy, postpartum, and eating disorders. You created this really cool thing, the HEART Method, which is a self-led therapy strategy teaching emotional resiliency, and you're the author of the book, Let Your Heart Out. And you had an awesome podcast called It's Not About the Food, and I recommend everyone go listen to that. I know you probably haven't done anything with it too recently, but there's a lot of great stuff there. So go listen to that. She lives just down the road from me, down the road from Austin, Texas, and you're doing all kinds of things. And so tell us a little bit more about you. I know you have three kids. You're a military wife like me. Yay. Oorah from here. But <laughs> what else do we need to know about you? Oh, gosh. I, I wear a lot of hats now. That's for sure. I haven't always been that way. Um, you know, I was very driven. And growing up, you know, I think probably from the age of 12 or 13, really the obsession about like food and my body ruled my life mm-hmm. and made my life very, very small. So it's, it's always sometimes surreal hearing my bio now because I was always a kid that was very busy, but never really passionate about things. And I think that's the difference between a life lived in slavery to idolatry of food in our body and the life lived in freedom. And I live a life of freedom now. And so the things that I choose to put my intentions and put my time and energy and resources into are things that, you know, I really feel like our God breathed in my life, you know, and unfortunately God has pulled me back a little bit just in the last couple of years since COVID and everything, a lot of transitions in my family. Um, I went from a pretty traumatic third pregnancy to 
my husband leaving active duty to us moving to new business adventures and wonderful blessings in my life. Um, some good, some bad, but a lot of changes where I just couldn't devote myself specifically to social media. So I used to be much more involved and I hope that that time comes back, but um, it's interesting where God takes you on this journey when food and your body obsessions are not ruling your life anymore. I, I love that you said that. I mean, I could do a whole episode with you on just your words were when your life is so small, because that was my story too. I mean, I was, I was a vice president of a nonprofit in my early twenties and I could have cared less like that little resume point, whatever, whatever. I'm really worried about my size and my weight. And it is sad in mm. retrospect, <laughs> but what yeah. was most important was it was body and yeah, you're right. It's, it's slavery. Um, yeah. well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. You, you have done so much to encourage women with full-blown eating disorders and those who maybe are somewhere on the spectrum. Is there a spectrum for eating disorders? Is that, is that a thing? There should I be. Think there is. Yeah, there I be. think there is. There's a lot of controversy in the field, even on that one issue. There's some different schools of thought. You know, mm -hmm. I'm of the belief. I think there is a spectrum. I think there's people that just have kind of the thoughts, but maybe mm -hmm. it never really affects their behaviors. And that's probably maybe the most minor, you know, of cases. And then, you know, all the way to the other extreme where, where it almost becomes like an addiction kind mm -hmm. of, you know, and so you see similar behaviors like even in substance use addiction, where you're, you're hiding, you're in secret, you're, you're possibly even um, doing things illegal, yeah. you know, I don't know, like, I mean, it can really, really even ruin your life to that degree, similarly to mm -hmm. an actual chemical addiction, because mm -hmm. it's similar processes in your brain, and then everything in between, where obviously, mm -hmm. you're just either psychologically miserable, physically miserable, both, you know, mm -hmm. and so I see I've seen the gamut in my mm -hmm. career. You know, I've worked in actual higher level of care eating disorder facilities. You know, I now have a private practice. So I see a fair amount of eating disorders in my private practice, um, as well as, you know, my coaching programs through the years online, where it's um, probably more on the minor side. But as we know, even quote unquote minor is still very life altering, right. you know, even you know, I, I always give the validation. I feel like that's my biggest mission is to encourage people that a lot of this is not normal, but it's so common that you are not alone, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know when you're kind of trapped in the thick of those obsessions and those thoughts, you, that's the hardest part is like that mm -hmm. loneliness feeling, which is interesting because it's also loneliness is one of the biggest triggers for actual chemical addiction too. So mm -hmm. that's why I, I do kind of relate a lot of substance use and eating disorders as a very similar thought process, because when you can be around people and you can talk your truth and you can talk mm -hmm. your lived experience, that in and of itself is very therapeutic. I mean, I spent over 10 years, I didn't tell a soul, which is so interesting to me because in the eating disorder world, a very common belief is that eating disorders or disorder eating is, is an attention seeking. Mm -hmm. And it is and it isn't maybe at, at a minimum, it's a very unconscious attention seeking mm -hmm. trait. So I think you don't realize, like I, I was ashamed of my behaviors mm -hmm. and most people are ashamed of their yeah. behaviors. So this idea that I'm doing this for attention is something that doesn't resonate with a lot of survivors of disorder eating, eating disorders, body image struggles. And so it's, it's something that I actually take the shame approach with, you know, mm -hmm. which different people talk about it in different ways, but 
the idea that bringing something to light, like actually talking about it is going to be therapeutic, even in and of itself, even mm-hmm. without any professional tools and tricks, like right. literally just like talking about it out loud or in a journal or just, you know, owning it that, Hey, this is not normal. It is super mm-hmm. common. So it feels like this is how we should live right. in this world, but this is not how God created us. Right. God created us to be like beautiful creations and we have a wonderful purpose and plan and for our lives. I don't remember hearing in the Bible about anybody who struggled with food in their body. Right. <laughs> like this is a very modern age problem. Right. And, and that's the problem that we've all mm-hmm. fed into this lie of the modern age that we need to be obsessing about food in our body mm-hmm. to be somehow a worthy woman of the world. And that's just right. a terrible lie that the enemy has sold us and we have to get away from it. Right. I, I had a client who, who um, brought cookies to work one time. And she's one of my coaching clients. And she's like, it's just been so funny because I could offer them. Most of the men were like, yeah, I want one or no, I'm not hungry. But the women, it either required like three sentences before they could take one. You know, like I was really good yesterday and I ran this morning and all the things and then they could take one or like, oh no, because I am, you know, IF or keto or whatever the diet of Mm -hmm. the day. Right. And, and I was like, that'd be a great, like science experiment, right? Like what happens if you offer a woman a cookie and like (laughs) do it with 300 women, you know, see, see the responses, but maybe not cookies, the end of Halloween, although Christmas is coming, right. But candy, like mm-hmm. the same thing happens with candy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's where we're headed. That's the season we're in. And you mentioned hiding earlier and you not in the same context, but you said hiding. And I thought, oh yeah, that's what I used to do with candy, right? I couldn't, and I put this in compared to who my first book. And I've had more people like respond to me on this one sentence than any other sentence in the whole book. But I used to hide the wrappers underneath whatever trash. Mm. I didn't care what the trash was on top. The candy wrappers could not be on the top of the trash can because then someone would see, you know, all the candy I'd eaten. So I would have to hide them underneath. And I've had so many women like respond to me that, you know, Oh, I do that too. I thought like that was just some crazy thing that just, I did, but like, wow, to read that you do that too. And, and so there's, there's a lot of little mm-hmm. secret ways we're in bondage to candy. Mm-hmm. And we've got candy season coming up. So help us, help us navigate it for ourselves first, because I think really that's the whole, the adage of put your own oxygen mask on first, right? Like if I don't know how to handle the candy, how am I going to help my children handle the candy? And I think, and this is a super broad stereotype, which is probably not true everywhere, but maybe true. A lot of places like between my husband and I, my husband's like, if I want some candy, I'm going to have some candy, like, you know, and he'll eat what he wants. And maybe he'll eat too much and be like, Oh, I just shouldn't add that much. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But he'll, he'll self-regulate. Whereas for me, it's still this like mental, like, okay, well, if I open the giant 24 pound bag of candy from Costco too early, that gives me access to it. You know, and like all of these different things, like the the mental gymnastics we go through, right? With like, okay, I I used to, when I was single, I would only buy candy that I didn't like, but it was strange Mm. how I could learn to like it when there was enough of it left over afterwards, right? So help us, how, how do we, and, and I'm, and I'm saying we collectively for my audience, women who have struggled with food, maybe full blown ED, maybe just compulsive dieting for decades. Oh, 
oh, we feel fear, we feel anxiety, we see candy. We, how do we handle this for ourselves? What give us some strategies? Talk me through mm-hmm. how can how can we be reasonable and healthy with candy? Well, first of all, I want to put a pin in the partner spouse conversation because mm-hmm. I feel like in my family it's actually the opposite. So really? I want to come back to that because yeah, I think yeah. that's actually really important because when you're raising kids together, you and your spouse are going to be looking at how these foods, you know, in your home look. And so I want to come back to that. Yeah, let's do it. Me and my husband look at candy and things very differently in our home and that causes tension. And so what does that look like? Um, but first, I think you made a big leap. And obviously, we who are in the work, who have done the work personally ourselves, it's easy for us to make that leap of thinking about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, 99% of the time, people are coming to me about their kids. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the biggest questions I get is, how do I handle my kids' obsession with candy? How do I handle my kids' obsession with sugar and sweets? My kids are just obsessed with candy. They're just obsessed with desserts. Like, I know that that's not healthy, but I want to be good, but blah, 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 you know, and their mind's reeling, but it's projected onto their kids. Well, then let's start and there. So, start there. Start so with the kids. I, <laughs> um, so I do want to give some, I mean, to validate that there, there is, I mean, naturally there is an obsession with candy and sugar as a kid, you know, you're a growing child, you are going to crave things that are going to give you like very fast energy and candy's fun, you know, as it should be in the world. And so you can cause a lot of harm in your home. And you also have the opportunity to cause a lot of benefit and growth for your children by having an open mindset about, you know, candy, sweets, sugar. And this goes for, I think, all desserts or formerly like taboo kind of foods. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing you can do is to actually literally keep it in your home. You know, I I can tell you from clients and patients I've had where they grew up in very restrictive homes where like they had no access to candy, sugar, that's akin to not having access to food period. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you're, you're now going to look at that as this thing that you're never going to get again. And so when you do get it, like for holidays, like Halloween or Easter or wherever, you're going to probably binge because that's what we do. Cause we think, oh no, we're never going to get this again. And this is my last chance to enjoy it. So I think that is probably the most important concrete tool is that you actually keep candy in your home. And okay. you know, it's funny, go ahead. Well, so what does that look like? Does that look like it's just there and my kids have access to it whenever they want. I mean, you know, with younger kids, that sounds scary. Even with my own, my teenagers, that sounds scary. (laughs) Definitely scary. I think, well, to be honest, actually, I think we just recently ran out of all of our Halloween candy from last year. So just to, and this is being recorded literally right before Halloween. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of taken a year, even for my own children. I mean, maybe there was some Easter candy left over in there too. So, but gives you a picture that like in, I think, and we're not a perfect home. I mean, my kids can have those moments where they binge on candy too, and that gets handled. I hope, hopefully in a healthy way, I try, but we usually have some kind of candy or cookies or sweets or something in our home. And normally I would say in the ideal textbook circumstance, it's being offered with food or as part of a snack. So say like for dinner, I would serve like dinner along with dessert at the same time. That's one of my biggest tips to people. Like don't give, um, I mean, sometimes I'm not completely against the rewarding with sweets, you know, the whole idea, like finish your food and have some, you know, I think 
there is a time and a place where you can help your child set some boundaries. Like if you just know they've had really not a very good nutritional balance to their week, encourage them to like try a few more bites and then have some candy or, you know, whatever dessert you're giving them. And then like candy specifically, I think candy can just be fun. You know, I usually, different people, I think have different comfort level with candy and different kids have different um, self moderation ability with candy. So I did learn because my kids are pretty young at the time of this recording. And so I do have to still help them like monitor that for themselves. And so I'm not going to give, I used to like give them free reign access to candy. And then literally, I think there was one day my daughter literally got like very sick. (laughs) She like ate so much of it that she got very, very sick, which is a really cool learning experience. And now she knows like if she has too much sugar, she actually doesn't sleep very well that night Mm -hmm. because she'll get cramps. And so helping your child develop their own lived experience of how candy, how sugar feels in their body is the best gift we can give them rather than shaming them that, oh my gosh, that's going to make you fat. Oh my gosh, that's so unhealthy. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? You know, which is shaming. And then they're going to rebel and just, you know, want to soothe themselves with candy even more. And so in those moments, I do try to be like, Hey, can we have something, you know, a little less sugary, you know, can we, can we add some, some cucumber or some strawberries or something else that I know that they'll like, but typically, yeah, we do just keep candy, like in a little bucket, like in our pantry, you know, that they do now kind of have free reign access to most of the time. Now I have almost two-year-old in my home. So like I said, free reign access for a two-year-old <laughs> is dangerous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's funny though, because over time, there are times when my kids really go crazy on candy. And then there's times and they won't eat candy for weeks on end. You know, like I said, I have candy in my house that was there for almost a whole year and it never got eaten. tired of comparing yourself to others? It's time to break free, my friend. Check out compareedtohu.me online and you'll find a ton of great resources, blog posts, videos, and so much more to help you stop comparing and start living. And make sure you sign up for my exclusive email list while you're there. I send my email friends things I don't send anyone else. You can also find out more about my brand new book, The Burden of Better, How a Comparison-Free Life Leads to Joy, peace and rest. If you're tired of battling comparison, friend, I wrote this book just for you. Check it out right after this episode, of course. You know, the coolest thing for me, and this may sound like a very silly thing, but I feel like it's a very good, it's funny what you said about you used to buy candy that you didn't even like, because I feel like it's one of the best indicators of um, your own growth and your own recovery in this area when you can actually state what you do enjoy eating in general, but also when you can indeed state like what you do enjoy eating like for candy, like what is your favorite candy? Mm -hmm. And that was a huge pivotal moment for me because I always thought I had a sweet tooth. And I I do still think I probably prefer sweet over savory, but once I gave myself free access to sugar, you know, and I went through healing in that way, I don't eat a whole lot of candy at all. Mm -hmm. Like I really, I'm not the candy person in my family. Mm -hmm. I mean, really good, like dark chocolate, totally Mm -hmm. my weakness, um, or like really good, like truffles or like creamy things, but just like 
typical like Halloween candy, I guess I've become a little snobby. Like that stuff is just not at all yeah. tempting to me. <laughs> like it could stay in my house for years and I would just probably never eat it. Um, but I, I, it took, but it, what's funny. So for my daughter, so she's my oldest and she's almost, she's eight and a half now. And she's the one that got sick. And often when she has too much sugar, she'll get um, cramps and can't sleep and has really had kind of a more lived experience. But she tells me like, specifically what her favorite candies are, which mm-hmm. as a mom, I really, I, again, I know this sounds silly and very simple, but like to have um, things that are special to you, mm-hmm. you know, and my son, my son is the same way. He will eat certain flavors of cookies and not flavors of other cookies, mm-hmm. you know, because he has his favorites. And it's, mm-hmm. so it's not about the sugar broadly, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. when a child is very dysregulated or has had an unhealthy relationship with sugar, any sugar is going to do, but that's not healthy. You know, Mm -hmm. I think to have favorites and to have like things that you really, really enjoy. And maybe sometimes we go overboard on things that we really enjoy just because we really enjoy them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that to me is normal rather than just generally all sugar all the time is tempting for you. Then maybe that's a clue in that there are some boundaries that need to be set in your home. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. It's so funny. That was kind of my natural experience too. I mean, just the last couple of years as I've gotten healthier around eating and trying to do more intuitive eating, I started keeping dark chocolate, but good dark chocolate for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'll have some almost every day like, but the first, I would say probably the first year I did that, it was every single day had to have my dark chocolate. And then just, just the other day, I realized, oh, like there's a bar of dark chocolate. I haven't even touched. Like I kind of forgot it was there. And I mean, it's, mm-hmm. so it's not been an overnight thing, but right. then to your point, yeah, now it's like, I, I had some M&Ms the other day and I was like, these really aren't as good as, I mean, I used to think M&Ms were the best thing in the world. I'm like, compared to dark chocolate, these really aren't as good. And I, mm-hmm. I ate the whole bag. It was just a regular size bag of M&Ms. I ate the whole bag. And I thought, you know, normally I'd be like, I need another bag. I need more. There's like only 12 M&Ms in those little bags. Now. <laughs> you know, like that's not nearly enough. Why didn't I have the giant size bag? But I ate those 12 and I was like, oh, I'm kind of okay. You know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think that's true, but I know someone listening today is saying, oh, but sugar is so bad. Haven't you seen all those studies on what sugar does to your brain and your body? And how can I let my child fill themselves with sugar? And I mean, they can't eat sugar every day. And what about their immune health, Stephanie? I mean, I don't want them to get sick because they've eaten too much sugar and they're going to be susceptible to all these diseases and they're going to get diabetes. And how in the world can you say it's okay for my child to have sugar? What do you think? Well, and this is where I've actually matured a little bit. I mean, I used to be like, you're just crazy. Everyone needs sugar, you know, and there's, there's some extremes in our field. I think you, if you get into like body positivity, you get into food freedom, you start following different accounts. And I think you will see some very extreme opinions out there. I mean, I'm a medical doctor, obviously I've seen all the studies like, yes, sugar is inflammatory to our bodies. Yes. Like, do we need sugar to live? No. I mean, Yes, I will give you these facts. I will also give you the facts that eating disorders have the highest morbidity and mortality of any mental illness. And I know that life personally, I have a lived experience. I've helped many, many hundreds, if not over a thousand patients in this area, okay? And I will tell you that is more life altering Mm -hmm. than 
any tiny minuscule risk that sugar in childhood causes chronic disease, which by the way, I've never even seen that study related, but there are people that I think go to the extreme. And I think we have to be careful of that. You know, these things are not extreme. It's a gray area, which is uncomfortable for human beings. We like things black and white, mm -hmm. but black and white is very legalistic. You know, that's not grace. And so it, for me, this is, it does become a spiritual issue. Like, and I know, again, another silly thing, but I think it'll stick for a lot of people. Like what would Jesus do? You know, I mean, do you think Jesus would be like, no, I have to eat keto, like, like, I not have this ever, 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 you know, I'm pretty sure that's kind of Pharisee thinking, right. you know, he doesn't. And again, he never really talked about food, like the times it ever really ever comes up in the Bible is more like, eat whatever you want. <laughs> not necessarily all to that degree. But what I'm saying is, this should not be an issue that we die on a hill for, mm -hmm. you know, like right. it, it, I think you have a right as a parent to make intentional choices for your children's health. And only, you know, your body, your child's body best. But I will tell you that if you are causing psychological harm, that's causing harm period, mm -hmm. you know? And I think we somehow forget that. And we think that, Oh, kids just like get over the emotions piece of it. And I'll tell you, kids don't get over it. Cause mm -hmm. look at you. As an adult, I'm sure you have issues from what adults in your life told you as a child. And so that I think is more damning and more just destructive to someone's livelihood than mm. the tiny possibility <laughs> that maybe sugar, you know, is going to cause some long-term autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. And even if we want to admit that, you have to have a healthy experience with candy or sugar as a child to be able to even say no as an adult. Mm -hmm. You know, I can tell you coming full circle in this journey, and I know y'all think it's like crazy town because I heard this when I was like in the heat of my disordered eating disorder brain. And I was like, there's no way I can ice cream. Ice cream was my thing. So mm -hmm. candy's a little hard for me, but I have to relate it to ice cream because ice mm -hmm. cream was like, everything. I mean, uh -huh. like I couldn't have it in my house. I would binge on it every time I had it. I mean, it was bad. It was really dangerous. Um, and so I just think I was like, there's these people are telling me I can have ice cream. There is no way. There is no way that if ice cream's in my house, it's not getting eaten. Like there's no way I could ever have a healthy relationship with ice cream. And now I can tell you kind of full circle. There's lots of times I don't eat ice cream because it doesn't make me feel good. And I mm -hmm. choose to feel good. Like I intentionally from a non-disordered place, I choose that, Hey, I'm not going to eat a scone for breakfast. Cause I'm going to be in a sugar coma all day, mm -hmm. you know, and you end up making very mindful decisions, but here's the thing. You can't jump to that. Yeah. Like you can't jump to that when your brain is not healed yet. You have to heal your brain, give yourself full freedom and go through that messy middle, which is messy. It's messy and it's uncomfortable you'll have days and weeks on end where you, you know, you'll, it's, if you're doing this for your children, you'll see your children eat a lot more candy first, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the, it's like the rubber band effect. Like you're going to like pull it so hard and then you're going to swing back, you know, it's, yeah. or the pendulum, however you want to think about it. But that's what I have to say about that though, yeah. is just because if you're limiting sugar, it's not necessarily saying no harm to your child. And if mm -hmm. anything, you might be causing more harm to your child yeah. just in different ways. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, I think what inspired this conversation was, I think you shared 
you shared an article or you shared something on Instagram about this. And I have been reading over the last years, these different studies coming out saying, do not limit your Halloween candy. Do not limit your child's Halloween candy. And I was like, oh, Stephanie, will you have this conversation with me? Because this is, this is hard. I mean, <laughs> that's it is a, hard. you know, a decade ago, that's a study. I would have been like uh, crazy town delete, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, but you know, but then I was talking to my husband about this last night and his question was like, okay, so then like legitimately your kids get home from trick or treat or church fall festival or trunk or treat or whatever the occasion. And they have, there was one year where we weighed our candy and we had 15 pounds of candy between the four children. And so he's like, you, yeah. you, you really just, you just let him go. Is that, is that what you do? I mean, what, at what age? Cause you know, we talked like two's too young, but yeah, it sounds, it sounds good in theory to let them have that get sick on candy experience, but I'm the parent that's going to have to be up in the middle of the night with them <laughs> if I allow that to happen. And can you promise me that's only going to happen one time and they're going to have that experience and I'm never going to have to be up in the middle of the night with them again. Like how, how do you navigate that? And I know there's no perfect answer, but can you give us maybe a little bit of framework as to what we do on this weekend <laughs> when all the candy comes home? Well, I think it begs, you know, and I'm just listening to you talk. And obviously this is so many parents thought process. This was my thought process when, before I did a lot of work and my older two um, were pretty young at the time. So we weren't really even there yet. So, but all of this is driven by fear. It's, it's fear that, oh my gosh, my kid's going to get sick. Oh my gosh, my kid's never going to say no to candy. Oh my gosh, my kid's going to be fat one day and they're going to get made fun of and you know, our brain is just, oh my gosh, like, what do people think of me that I let my kids eat candy, you know, this much, like, oh my God. So I just want you to, this is another exercise for y'all to do. I literally want you to write down like what you're afraid of because anxiety in this way, whether it's around food, whether it's around your body size, whether it's around anything in your life is always driven by fear. Mm -hmm. And God commands us to not fear 365 times in the Bible. So this is literally a command of God to not be afraid. And I know it might sound silly and maybe doesn't relate, but whether you're afraid of your kid eating candy or afraid of a bear or a lion in the lion's den, it's still driven by the same thing. That's fear that God commands us not to do. Right. So I, I just want to make that very clear too, that our biggest fears usually don't always happen. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you the biggest fear of like, oh my gosh, my kid's going to eat like 15 pounds of candy in a night. I mean, I won't tell you what your child does because only, you know, your child, but it has never happened with my kids. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before there was one year, my kids ate like literally almost no candy. They had like so much candy because they just, you know, we do go trick or treating because I think it's fun for them. I'm not really into like Halloween decorations per se, because I think they're, I don't know, a little dark, scary, <laughs> but like the dressing up as a princess, I'm, I'm okay with that part of it. And they got tons of candy that year. And I remember my son just opened them all up and he was, I don't know, four or five at the time, I guess he just opened them all up and he like put them on our coffee table and did not eat. I think he had maybe one piece or like one bite of a piece. And that was it. And we had all this, I'm telling y'all, I had candy, Halloween candy from last year uh -huh. that just was finished. So this is a thing that children just don't eat it. Now, my oldest, she is a little more drawn to candy. That's maybe just kind of her weakness, or I don't even know if we want to call it a weakness. It's just sort of her thing. But even still, 
she'll have like a handful of candy and then she's like, oh, my stomach doesn't feel good. Like I'm done. I mean, most of the time, our biggest fear of this, like, they're going to go crazy and then get tons of cavities and then, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it probably will not happen. Again, I'm not predicting your personal future, but <laughs> that, that is still a fear and we cannot let fear drive our parenting just like we can't let fear drive our livelihood. Right. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's so good. So just bringing it then to like us, the, the moms, which I think most of my listeners are moms. If you're a dad, I'm going to include you too, dads too. But, but those of us then, you know, who are still, okay. So that's how we manage our kids. Now I know the mental gymnastics that I have gone through for managing myself, you know, the, okay, I'm going to tell myself I can have three pieces and I'll put aside my three favorite and I'll just eat those, which normally ends in me eating, I don't know, 30 of my favorite, right? Or that I'm not going to have any because, and I've heard so many women tell me this. I know once I get started, I can't stop. So as Mm -hmm. long as I just don't start, then I don't have a problem, you know, or, you know, telling, (laughs) I told my husband, don't let me eat it. Don't let me eat any of it. You know, all those different strategies we try are really missing what I'm hearing you say. We're really missing the heart of the issue, right? Which is, mm-hmm. which is really the problem with dieting in general, right? Like dieting is mm-hmm. about rules and, and regulations and you're good if you follow the rules and you're bad if you don't follow the rules. And that's why we've got good foods and bad foods and candy is a bad food. And if you candy, you're bad. And, you know, all these different things that have gone through our heads for so many decades, like rules that we have lived by. And, and in some cases, I would say probably been more concerned about than maybe even God's rules. I mean, that's kind of like a Mm. leap, but I think that's true for me, right? Like Mm -hmm. I can tell you my diet Mm -hmm. rules, my food rules. That's what's important in my life. Oh yes. And God's rules too. Oh yes. Oh yes. That's important too, but don't make me break my food rules. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so, but I hear you saying is like a fear. Yeah. That's a God rule, right? Mm -hmm. So that's more important Mm -hmm. than my food rule, but practically, I mean, do I just, just, you know, asking for the person who this is maybe their first, their first time to even think about, Ooh, so it would be healthier for me to have some Halloween candy than not be healthier for me to indulge a little than not. Like, I know, like you said, there's a very messy middle, the road to Mm -hmm. more intuitive eating, as we call it, right. That, that road is not it's not a six week diet journey, right? Mm-hmm. Like that can, that road can be years long. It has been for me, but is there anything you can give us? Like, where, where do we start? Like if we haven't gone into intuitive eating, maybe we're mm-hmm. still just trying to think about like giving up the diets. What, how do we start this weekend, this holiday season? Like what's the healthy way to start walking down this road to having a healthier relationship with candy and sweets? I think to get clear on why you're even doing this or, you know, if you're interested in it, you know, I know for me now, ultimately my why is a little bit different, but when I first started this journey, it was because I didn't want my daughter to end up like me. I didn't want her to go through the 10 plus year battle I went through with food in my body. Like I I wanted her to see my daughter, my oldest. Um, And she was about five when I really was like, Cause she, I think at one point saw me like weighing my food and she started asking questions. And then 
she had stepped on the scale one day and like started and I was like oh my gosh I've got to stop this I've got to stop. And, I, I, and I I got really I mean I did get afraid but it actually prompted me in a different direction it was more I was willing to be a martyr for my child and I think a lot of us women it's hard for us to start the work with us as the motivation because we are servant hearted I mean even I think the most selfish of us I think we live for our kids we live for our family and I was like, I, I do not want my past for my children. And I think for many people, that can be a very solid motivation. Mm -hmm. Like asking yourself, what is best for your children? You know, really and truly. And asking yourself like holistically, like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, what is best for your children? Because all those categories are as important, if not more important than your quote, physical health you know, which is not even to say that sugar is directly even related all the time to that. So that was a big, big motivating factor for me. And it was why, interestingly enough, you know, practically speaking, I will usually have some candy with my kids periodically, even if I don't like it, mm -hmm. because I think modeling the fact that mom eats candy too, and mom eats all foods is something that was really important to my values. I wanted to live for my family. I, you know, it's, like when we all go out to ice cream, even if I don't really feel like ice cream, I will sometimes get a little portion of it because mm -hmm. I don't want to set the example that, huh, mom never eats ice cream. She never eats candy with us. Mom never does this, you know, because kids see your behaviors right. and the older they get, they will notice everything, everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's funny because the people that I see and, you know, normally people aren't coming to me until they are much older and they've had mm -hmm. these issues since they were 11, 12, 13 years old or younger. And, you know, they're like, I don't remember anything, you know, happening really. And I was like, well, tell me about like food in, in your family. Like, how mm -hmm. was it viewed? And almost always they're like, oh, well, my mom was a, a dieter. She was always on a diet or, right. oh, my parents talked about food all the time. Or, you know, my brother was on a diet or like someone in their direct family unit, even yeah. if there wasn't anything overtly traumatic to them, but someone directly around them was modeling this behavior. Right. And so I just want to tell you and encourage you that the rest of the world is going to model something very, very different for our kids. Mm -hmm. And that's stretches far beyond food in our bodies. And we, we are called to be set apart and to look right. different than the world, right. you know, and this is, this is one of those areas for me personally, God has laid on my heart that this was an idol in my life mm -hmm. that I surrendered to him and I wanted to look different. And you know what? My daughter's in third grade now at the time of this recording. And this is the first year really that now girls are talking about fat and girls are talking about nutrition facts on labels. And I mean, I even think that's a little young because I don't remember really worrying about that till junior high. So mm -hmm. already things are happening younger and younger and younger. So it, it, there is no early time to start. Like even right. if your kid's a baby, like start right. now, right. you know? And I think it starts with having that clear motivation. Like, what do you really want for right. your children? You know, cause if it's hard for you to find that clear purpose and drive to change for yourself, all of us want what's best for our children. Right. And I can tell you likely what is best for your children is to have an overall healthy relationship with food. Because as I've talked on my podcast, these issues are not about food. Mm -hmm. These issues are about trust. They're about fear. They're about rules. They're about legalism. Right. They're about right. all of these other issues that just stretch to other areas of our life. And 
it's funny, you know, the, the even coming full circle, the issue of hiding your food and your wrappers, super common. I mean, I did it. I think everyone who's had a disordered relationship with food has done it before. That's shame. Mm-hmm. And that's not trusting anything. You know, my goodness, like I think there's so many examples to this, but like if you cannot trust yourself to eat something in front of someone you love, mm-hmm. you're never going to be able to have a vulnerable, loving, intimate relationship in your life. Truly. You know, I mean, these issues, you know, I, I've talked before, even on the issue of like trusting yourself around food is teaching, especially a young girl, how to trust yourself around a man later Mm -hmm. in life and to be able to have boundaries in romantic relationships. And again, I know these are really strong, crazy leaps, but like food and our body and these things are so ingrained in our mind that they end up like infiltrating every area of our life. This is like what drove my entire platform for so long, because I see it. There is not a single person that has disorder relationship with food that has a healthy quality of life. Everyone has issues in other areas, but they just don't realize that it's not about the food. They've like now brought all of these dysfunctional relationships with food into other areas of their life, you know, whether it's work or personal or friendships or romance, like so it starts with food because that mm. is a very, it's a very tangible thing. We all get it. We all have to eat every day, but it stretches to every area of your life. So you teach your kid a healthy relationship with candy. You can teach your kid a healthy relationship with anything in their lives. Oh, Stephanie, that is so, so good. That is so good. And I know that that spoke directly to someone. I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, what I saw modeled for me. And the message, and I've, I have clients, coaching clients too, that are just like the message in my house was moms always have to be on diets. That's like, it's important for moms to stay thin. Moms have to be on diets. Moms don't get to eat regular food. Moms have to eat Franken food, right? Moms have to eat milkshakes and they have to eat, you know, all these different, like, you know, strangely packaged foods. Moms can't eat what everyone else eats at the table, all these things. And, and moms can't eat candy and moms don't get dessert when we go out and all those things. And just changing the paradigm there, um, is so, so important. Okay. We put a pin in one issue. We're almost out of time, but we put a pin in the issue of you versus your husband on the issue of candy. Can we go there quickly? Yeah. Well, this is definitely a follow-up conversation. I think at some point, or even a Instagram Q and a or something, because I'll just say that I just want people to know it's an issue. You know, Mm -hmm. you can get very clear on how your values, how you want to raise your kids. And it's going to ebb and flow in a marriage, obviously. You know, when I first started this journey, my husband was deeply entrenched in bodybuilding world. And what we were allowed to have in our house (laughs) at the time was not what we still have in our house now. And, you know, I chose in that moment to respect my husband, which was a really hard, difficult decision. And it took a lot of work in our marriage to get to a point that we're at now. And that was just to give you a kind of a time frame of how far it does, how long it does take to kind of get on board with, you know, spouses. I mean, that was probably five, six years ago mm-hmm. at that point. And it mm-hmm. probably took a solid two to three years of really, and to be honest, I think we still view things different, which is okay. I think there's just a a mutual respect and there's a more love and understanding in that relationship, but it took a lot. And Mm -hmm. so if you, if you are the one, which I will, again, this is another stereotype. This isn't always the case, but normally it usually is the mom that's wanting to change things. And then 
you know, the husband is like, what? Well, that's not healthy. Like that doesn't Mm -hmm. sound good. And I will tell you, it is just different for men. I mean, the statistics are rising for young boys, but like men of middle age, you know, thirties, forties, I guess I will tell you when they grew up, most men didn't struggle in this Mm -hmm. way. And they could have still had some modeling in their home you know, for example, I grew, me and my husband grew up very different. Like I grew up in a very foodie family. My dad owned restaurants. We had tons of candy, tons of food, tons of junk food, always available at our disposal. Okay. And I had a crazy eating disorder for several years. My husband grew up in a family that was very health conscious, never had junk food in their home. Like rarely they would get like fast food, you know, very disciplinarian, you know, military home, Mm -hmm. very different from how I grew up around food. And so if you're not married by chance, I will tell you that food is just as important as how you view money, just Mm -hmm. as important as how you view raising your children. Like it will come up Mm -hmm. in very emotional ways, even down to like, whether you keep leftovers. I mean, we got married in October and I remember we hosted a Thanksgiving that first year we were married and we had one of the biggest fights of our early marriage over Thanksgiving leftovers. Okay. (laughs) So I'm just telling you it happens. Uh And obviously when kids are involved and then with something as, you know, target issue, like sugar is involved, it can be an issue. So you're not crazy. It's a problem. And if you want like further tips on that, that's I think for a whole other discussion, but I just wanted to make that clear that it's actually not normal (laughs) that spouses just completely see eye to eye. You know, you may have a marriage for the rest of your life where you don't see things a hundred percent eye to eye. It's just important that you have, I think a mutual love and respect for how each of you want to view that. Yeah, that's, that's good. And that's so true for us too. I mean, my husband is a Marine, like, you know, I remember someone joking before we got married, uh, someone saying something about candy bars or whatever. And they were like, well, those will never be in Eric Creekmore's house. And I remember kind of thinking like, Ooh, but kind of like at the time, I mean, I was still Mm -hmm. really, you know, entrenched. in. Yeah. I'm like, that's awesome. This is the perfect man for me to marry because we'll never have candy in our house and I will stay skinny, (laughs) you know, but yeah. Anyway, that's, that's a good point. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show today and helping us navigate this. Tell everyone where you want to be connected with Instagram. Like, I, I don't know. You've got so many different directions. Where should people find you? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. I okay. still check in periodically. One of these days I'll be consistent again when God calls me back to that space. You can always find me on my website, stephanierinaldmd.com. It's kind of, it's currently under construction, but it'll be ready, available to soon as well. Yeah. Awesome. And your podcast, it's not about the food is still available everywhere. Podcasts Uh are listened to and I recommend it. You guys will love it. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Stephanie. I appreciate you being on the show today and thank you for watching or listening today. I hope something in today's episode has helped you stop comparing and start living. That's all for today. Bye-bye. Hey friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute.
Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the Start Here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. Hi, friend. Are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of, too? Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science inspired by God's Word to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.